Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Wednesday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Thanks for being with us. Midweek, it, 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 it definitely feels like it, doesn't it? Just grinding through the week. Yes, yes, that, that's where it, we're at. It feels like it has been a grind. Yes, this week. yes, it has. Only, only Wednesday? What? Seriously? That's, that's what it feels like. Well, coming up on the show today, uh, a lot to get to from last night. IU and Michigan, the Hoosiers, get the Big Ten road win. We'll get to that after headlines this morning. Plus, the NCAA president proposes a major shift in how sports are conducted. We'll get to that. Plus, is it time to admit we are wrong about the NBA tourney? We'll get to that later this hour. Also, in hour number two, uh, the biggest takeaway from IU and Michigan. And it's something that we're not going to talk about uh, that we've talked about at length with this Hoosiers team. Plus, is the AFC South wide open now with Trevor Lawrence's injury? Uh, We'll get to details on that. And would college football benefit by the portal moving? We see more players playing bowl games. Is there a way to make this better for the bowl system? Or will this take care of itself? Uh, And uh, a... Texas woman found a gift in her Christmas tree. Not a gift that you would want, though. Hmm. It's not a finger, is it? No. No, okay. thankfully it is not. Didn't Plus, know we were on the finger story <laughs> train. Plus, we have um, we have Comets tickets to give away. Hey. So, they're playing the Tulsa Oilers on Friday night at the Coliseum. So, uh, let's make it simple. Let's just uh, have you text in Tulsa to 46862. Again, Tulsa to 46862. And you'll be in the running for a four-pack of tickets to see the Comets and the Oilers again Friday night at the Coliseum. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. So text Tulsa to 46862. Yeah, get in, get your tickets for a Friday night out with the K's. Hopefully it goes better than last week. Yeah, I was going to say. Hopefully (laughs) the Comets can right the ship because you don't want to see them get drilled on Friday night. No, at, at the very least, this is outside the division, so they're not four-point games, but at the same time, after the three losses and three nights last weekend for the Ks, you hope they can bounce back on Coliseum Ice on Friday night. So Tulsa to 46862. The, the pun went straight over your head. Yeah, yes, it did. Yes. <laughs> it's early. I got it. The drillers. <laughs> no, o- the Oilers. The Oilers. The Oilers drill. <laughs> At seven oh six a.m. Yeah, people. no, I I don't blame you. It's just funny. <laughs> I, like I said, I was waiting for like you to roll your eyes or nope. It went right by me. It went way over my head. All right, let's let's, let's be, get let's to be real. Probably would have at two o'clock in the afternoon too. <laughs> Probably <so>. true. <laughs> All right, what do we got? Uh, headlines. So I talked about Trevor Lawrence and not good news for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Good news for the rest of the AFC South though, because Trevor Lawrence suffered a high ankle sprain. Uh, his timetable to return. Undetermined. Um, they haven't completely ruled out the possibility of him playing on Sunday. Uh, but, I mean, let's be honest. I'd, I'd be very surprised if he plays, and that's not something you want to risk this late in the season as the Jags visit the Browns on Sunday afternoon. Um, this is a obviously a big loss. C.J. Beathard, former Iowa quarterback, is the backup. They didn't even have a backup for Monday night after him. Like They didn't have a, a third-string quarterback. This so. is a team that, um, unlike the Colts and most other teams, haven't prioritized the backup quarterback position. And it could cost them at this point. 
I don't expect Trevor. Even if Trevor Lawrence plays this weekend, which I would find shocking, he's not going to be 100%. No. He's not going to be Trevor Lawrence. So this is definitely a concern for Jacksonville fans because you have C.J. Bethard playing for you for the foreseeable future. Now, um, Doug Peterson says he doesn't think Lawrence would require surgery on his ankle, which Kenny Pickett had the tightrope procedure earlier this week to, to help the healing process uh, for him on an ankle sprain. Uh, worse news on receiver Christian Kirk, who suffered a core muscle injury uh, in that game Monday night as well. That might require surgery. Just a bad Monday all around for Jacksonville. Lose the game. You lose a, your, your, your starting quarterback. You lose one of your top wide receivers. It's not ideal. And you're only a game ahead of both the Colts and the Houston Texans. So the AFC South becoming even more interesting with the attrition for Jacksonville's offense. I mean, think about what you just said. The Jags are only a game ahead of the Colts and the pretty Texans. Wild. I and mean, two, two teams who were absolutely atrocious. I mean, the only thing they brought us last year was that incredible game to end the season, right? Yeah, I guess incredible <laughs> is one word for it. Um, it's a credit to both of those teams, for sure. I stood here multiple times and said, there is no way that the Indianapolis Colts are make the playoffs. I have to stand by that because I don't want to flip-flop. I don't think the Colts make the playoffs. However, we talked about yesterday about one of the biggest things for Indianapolis this year outside of Anthony Richardson is staying healthy, and Jacksonville is having injury struggles right now. And that's advantage Indianapolis and advantage Houston. And we'll see if they can take advantage. Meanwhile, in Major League Baseball, the Cleveland Guardians will pick first in the 2024 MLB Amateur Draft next summer. They had a 2% chance. Yeah. And they got it. And the the Reds will pick second. Yes. They had a 0.9% chance of picking that high. And they were able to secure the number two pick. Take that, Oakland. Soon to be Vegas. That's what happens (laughs) when you try to throw seasons. You still can't even get the first or second pick. So Cleveland won the lottery on the second try. So the uh, 2024 draft will be July 14th at Arlington, Texas. Uh, Elsewhere in Major League Baseball, of course, Everything heating up in terms of Shohei Otani. There have already been reports it'd be a half billion dollar deal, which is not a surprise. That's the number we expected, right? I, I don't think that's a surprise whatsoever. That that's the number that's been thrown around for his contract. Which is pretty wild considering he's not pitching at all yes. this upcoming season. And who knows with two Tommy John surgeries if he can ever pitch effectively as a starter again. There's talk out there. And Bob Nightingale was maybe one of the first to report it and uh, got got uh, shut down by the Cubs. Shut down by the Cubs, but basically saying the Cubs are fading as a candidate for Shohei Otani. And quite frankly, I don't think it's the worst thing for the, for the Chicago Cubs because it's going to take an insane amount of money to get a guy that's not going to pitch for you this year, may not pitch effectively ever again in Major League Baseball. He can still rake, of course, but man, that's a hell of a lot of money to pay for a guy that may may see his two-way uh, playing days over with that second Tommy John. So when you look at where the Cubs could invest that money elsewhere, I think it benefits them to not pursue Shohei Otani. I, I think it goes, he, he goes to the Dodgers, he goes to the Giants, somewhere on the West Coast would be my bet. But uh, initially I'm like, well, the Cubs is a missed opportunity, but the more you look into it, I think it's, it's wise to steer clear of Otani at this point if you're the Cubs. 
Yeah, the, the teams that are the finals, you, you mentioned, I, I fully expect them to go to the Dodgers or the Giants. Uh, the Angels, Cubs, and Blue Jays, of all teams, are also believed to be finalists for Otani. They believe he could choose his destination within the next week. And, and Dave Roberts um, sparked some ire within his organization when he admitted that they met with Otani at Dodger Stadium a couple days ago. So that's the first details we've had on this free agent frenzy with Otani. Which is uh, Otani's people wanted everything to remain quiet. So this is the first real indication we've got of what's going on. Does that eliminate the Dodgers? Uh, No, I don't think so. I don't think it does I don't think so. I think they're the favorite. I would put the Giants number two and then loop everyone else in together. That's where I go. If he goes else anywhere other than San Francisco or LA, I would be surprised. Yeah, I, I would too. Uh, the NHL announced that the 2024 NHL draft will be held in Las Vegas and the league finalizing plans to hold the event at our favorite event space, the Las Vegas sphere. Hey, how about that? That'll recoup all that money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so that would make the NHL the first league to hold a sporting event. Well, that's, that's loose. A draft, Quote, I guess. Yeah. Uh, at the facility as more than 18,000 seats. Um, so this would be big. Uh, the NHL draft uh, draft has been held at arenas um, since 1986. This will be the just the third time since then that the draft has been held at a non-NHL venue. Uh, they had it uh, after the lockout, the Weston Hotel in Ottawa in 2005, and then in 2020 and 2021 um, at the NHL Network Studios because of the pandemic, which makes sense. So they're trying something new, and I like it. It's a way to get some buzz, and uh, think about it. You have NHL signage on the sphere during the draft, right? I mean, that, that's advertising. That's huge, and so for the NHL, that'd be that'd be pretty solid uh, to have the the draft out in Vegas at the Sphere, which is still, despite it losing money, at least through the first uh, first quarter, is still pretty damn cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, in college football, we've reached the politicians trying to step in over Florida State. Snub uh, in the college football playoff. See, Ron DeSantis is getting yes. involved. Yep. He's got uh, his priorities in order. <laughs> Republican Governor Ron DeSantis uh, took the committee to task. He's speaking at a news conference a uh, talking about the Florida budget, asking for $1 million to let Florida State sue the college football playoff committee. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I get it. It's political posturing. Um, any politician... Would be smart to do it and and jump on the. I get wagon. it. He's trying to find votes. And it yeah. sounds sounds good, but I, nothing's going to change here. No, nothing's going to change is. here. Is is what it is. Um, I understand the if, if if and this I heard this yesterday, and it's true. If your team was undefeated, power five, and got shut out of the of the football play, college football playoff, you'd be as outraged as Florida State fans and in, in Florida. I, I get it totally. Doesn't mean you're right, but you'd be outraged. And I understand it. And that this is why we're going to a 12-team playoff. So, but to get politicians and politicians getting involved and all that stuff just seems a little uh, little much. Stay out of my sports, please. <laughs> uh, and continuing on in college football, a lot of news in the transfer portal. Uh, former Notre Dame running back and wide receiver Chris Tyree heading to Virginia, where he's from. Uh, and the Irish uh, host Virginia on November 16th at Notre Dame Stadium. So that'll be cool for the return there. Uh, Xavier Watts, Notre Dame safety, said he will play in the Sun Bowl. Uh, he said he'd want to play the bowl game even if he was going to declare for the NFL draft. 
kind of refreshing to hear that. Yeah, well, he's not a first-round pick, so he's got a lot to gain. So he will play in the bowl game. Maris Leofau declaring for the draft. Does that mean he will not play? Yeah, he, he will not play. He will not play the and linebacker then, Notre Dame. And, and as far as transfers to Notre Dame, this is not a surprise, but Notre Dame lands grad transfer wide receiver Chris Mitchell from Florida International. We talked about him earlier this week, over 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns last season. Uh, so Notre Dame gets one of their at least two receivers they need in the portal, probably three, to be honest. And then finally, one of Purdue's top 2024 commits, Keandre Henry, has decommitted. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. He does say Purdue is still a top choice for me. Uh-huh. I'm just taking time from everything until signing day, December 20th. Rarely does a guy decommit from somewhere and end up there. Yeah. Recommit. It happens, but it's rare. Um, you, you mentioned Chris Mitchell. Mm-hmm. 64 catches, 11, over 1,100 yards. I saw something yesterday where his catches would be the most for a Notre Dame wide receiver since like 2019. Uh-huh. And, and yards. Like yards first. Since 2015. 20, was that? Yeah, that. I, I mean, believe. it was. It's uh, it's been a minute since, and, and that's that's a thing. It's not just a one year thing. That's more indicative of just where Notre Dame is as an offense. Is I know that it's a bruising running football team, but similar to the NFL, I think this is becoming more and more of a case in college football. If you want to be an elite team at the college football level, an elite offense, you need to be able to sling the ball downfield and and big plays in the passing game. And Notre Dame thought they'd have that with Sam Hartman this year, and it simply did not happen because, as as we've said, the stats, when you compare Drew Pine in 10 games to Sam Hartman in 12, they're pretty similar. Yeah, that's my my thing with uh, with Riley Leonard, and now he's the, uh, the, the, the flavor of the week, so to speak, for Notre Dame fans is, oh, they're going to get Riley Leonard. And I'm looking at him, we mentioned this yesterday about him and Sam Hartman, and uh, Sam Hartman's a more accomplished quarterback. Than, than Riley Leonard. What makes anybody think that another essay, another uh, quarterback from a middling ACC team, and I know middling is, isn't fair to Duke the last couple of years, but as a program, long-term it's middling, just like Wake Forest. What what makes people think that, that this is going to end up any better than the Sam Hartman? It wasn't bad with Sam Hartman, but it wasn't up to the expectations when he came in. But adding a guy like Chris Mitchell and at least one other wide receiver is the expectation could change the fortunes of a Riley Leonard, as opposed to Sam Hartman having more weapons. We'll see. And back here in Fort Wayne, Will Jamison, the Homestead um, boys basketball player uh, tweeted out yesterday, a video of him first day out of the hospital. Thank you to everybody that has wished me a speedy recovery. And he he takes a a three pointer in the uh, gym. So, Best of luck to him as he continues to recover after that car crash. Yeah, it's it was amazing to see because I hadn't had an I hadn't heard an update from um from that situation for for Jamison in a while. But so to see him back, you have that. You have um uh, the young Truesdale, the freshman at Bishop Lures, the the brother of the the junior twins, Darion and Draylen, uh, also back in Fort Wayne after his health scare that had him die at Riley. So pretty, pretty great news over the last couple of days to see Will back and uh, the little Truesdale. I think it's DJ, I want to say. DJ Truesdale. So uh, good, good all around. Uh, again, I don't think Will Jameson is, is playing anytime soon. No, I don't at least think so, out of the but hospital. he's out of, yeah, out of the hospital and, uh, 
and home, at least getting treatment and uh, still able to bury some shots. Yeah, that's that's definitely positive. Uh, four six eight six two is how you reach us on the text line. Four six eight six two. Um, if you have thoughts on Indiana, send them our way. As the Hoosiers, two and zero in hey. Big Ten play. If you if you would have told me a week ago that IU would be two and zero in Big Ten play, I would have said you were crazy. We said if IU could go over this four game stretch two and two, you'd feel over the moon. Right now they're two and zero. They're playing with house money the, now. The, the two tough games are coming up. Yeah, true. Well, no, I would say. I guess I would have put the Auburn game at a neutral site over winning at Michigan. True. So what now, the Hoosiers uh, were able to do is, is the toughest game. It is at home. Yes. Obviously it's the toughest game. Right. Absolutely. But for IU to go on the road, I know it's not a, a great Michigan team. It may not even be a good Michigan team, but for this team to go on the road and win in the big 10, we saw what Purdue couldn't do on the road to open the season in the big 10. So this is a big win for Indiana. And it was really paint dominated. When you look at Renew and Baco, Khalil Ware, those guys delivered. And then also the bench, I thought, was huge last night. Yeah. Uh, IU started this game early. Uh, the broadcast on Peacock. I'm sure people have plenty of complaints on that. But IU started this game early, attacking the rim, got off to a strong start. Michigan rallied back, and this one actually held a two-point lead at halftime. And then when it looked like Michigan was going to pull away in this game. It was bench guys really making plays. C.J. Gunn had a couple of threes, uh, which was huge for Indiana because knocked down his first two threes of the season. IU obviously needs needs that. On the offensive end, he had four steals. He played well. Anthony Walker had eight points. Peyton Sparks had six. Caleb Banks had six. Like At 28 the, points off the bench. The bench has been something that's not been a big contributing factor in some of these games this year. They were huge last night. and And yes... IU just three of nine from three, but maybe, just maybe, and I, I think Dylan Sin pointed this out, but IU knows who they are and they're not a three point shooting team. Yes. And I, maybe that's not the worst thing. And that's a, at least they have uh, the, the first step towards recovery is admitting you have a problem. Yeah. And, and maybe IU's just admitted they've taken that first step and say, you know what? We're just, we're just not a good three point shooting team. So we're going to stop taking them, which I can appreciate. It's better than just chucking and continue to miss. But you look at what Indiana was able to do, 52 to 28 points in the paint against Michigan. If you would have told me that going to Ann Arbor without Xavier Johnson, huh. IU was going to be able to win, um, no way. I would say you're insane. And Gabe Cups looks like a dude that's lost out there. But still, they had enough from CJ Gunn and Anthony Walker, Caleb Banks, Peyton Sparks. You mentioned it, those four guys off the bench the post they defended the three very well that's something that i noticed when i watched some of the first half because i'm an old man i couldn't stay up for the entire game had to get caught up this morning but when you look at what um indiana was able to do on the perimeter with its defense that hasn't always been there for a long time for indiana and through two uh over the last two and a half games opponents for indiana shooting seven of 42 from three-point range, wow. also forcing 14 turnovers from Mich- on Michigan last week or er, last night. 14 turnovers, eight assists. So Indiana doing a very good job, much better than usual for Indiana teams in terms of closing out on the outside, defending the three, and then cleaning up on the boards. Again, no Xavier Johnson. Trey Galloway, uh, he closed with some more points, but it was not a good night for him. Four fouls. Yes, he had nine points, but no rebounds. 
Um, and three of 12 from the field and three of six from the foul line. Not a, not a good performance from him. No text coming in. Please tell Trey Galloway that they're not a three-point yeah. team. He yeah. clearly doesn't know. He, he, the, the thing is, he was getting wide open looks and bricking them, which says everything you need to know because this is a guy who was a good three-point shooter before, and it's just simply not happening this season. Um, it, it's It's been a struggle. You want to you want to guess how bad his three point percentage is this year? I will say it's unbelievably thirteen percent. Yes, really? Yes. All right, we're ending the show right now. It's downhill from here. Thirteen point six percent from three of the year for Trey Galloway. He just Which, looks again, like remind a guy. You, he shot forty six percent last year. Yeah. Meanwhile, CJ Gunn was two of twenty eight heading into last night's game from three. Hit two of three last night. So, so was, he was he came off the bench. One of the guys giving the spark and, in Indiana. and thirty bench points again, a, a huge boost for Indiana. I think the other thing defensively, Doug McDaniel uh, for Michigan, who is coming off a, a huge performance in the game prior. He had thirty three and the overtime loss on Saturday at Oregon had thirteen points, and more importantly, he was held to three of fourteen shooting from the field. Yeah, um, Gabe Cubs. I will give him credit because the text coming in talking about when he's at the point. He he is. I'll give Gabe Cups credit in the sense that he is running the offense and not looking to score. I do think over a long term that hurts you by not having yes. a dude on the on the on the floor that is looking to score. But he has done an admirable job filling in for Xavier Johnson in terms of running the offense. I will agree with that. But long term, you need a dude that's going to attack off the dribble and be a scoring threat. And Cups isn't that. And I know he's coming along. I get it. His, but I think obviously long term you're better off having Xavier Johnson in that position. It's it's a bonus that IU is getting these wins without Xavier Johnson at the moment, and that Gabe Cups is getting experience. I mean, 32 minutes last night, right? That's helpful. But I will say, 32 minutes to assists. Yeah, it's like he has to be better. But I I understand a little little harp. I was a little harsh on Gabe Cups. I get it, but. Uh, he's doing what he's being asked to do right now within the realm of the offense. It's going out there, don't turn the ball over, and get the ball in the hands of the playmakers offensively. And he is doing that. I mean, IU continues to be a team that's getting uh, almost zero from the backcourt, and the front court is leading the way. And, and, and last night, Malik Renew, quiet first half. He attacked inside in the paint in the second half. Again, had 15 to lead Indiana, six rebounds. McKenzie Mbako with 11 um, hit. Basically, if he hits an early shot, he'll give you a decent game. If not, yeah, if he he's struggles. lost. And Khalil Ware, I mean, Mike Woodson, you know, I have to give him huge credit for what he did late in this game. He fouled up three, which was wise. And then yes. on the inbound play at the end of the game, he put Khalil Ware uh, to defend. I mean, why not? And he said that was like a last-second adjustment, and that that's the right call there. So... Are we seeing the maturation of him as a coach in these situations as well? I don't understand why more people don't foul when you're up three like that. I mean, yes, it's it's a it's a, it's an easy call, and Mike Woodson was able to do it yesterday. But I do think we saw the the elixir for Indiana to be successful in the Big Ten and this season. the The front court is going to lead the way for good reason, but you need to protect the basketball which IU was able to do for the most part last night, still 13 turnovers, but but, but uh, Michigan had more. And then some semblance of an outside shooting game. Which it doesn't have to be threes. Yes, it doesn't have to be necessarily threes, but just outside shooting. They shot almost 52% from the field last night. 
anytime you shoot over 50% from the field, you feel you're in good shape offensively. So I, I don't think IU is ever going to be a team where the guards lead the way in scoring this season. And that's twofold is because I don't think the guards are good enough and the, the front court is that good. But at the same time, if you get enough from the backcourt and the bench and you're playing good defense, which Indiana did yesterday, then you can kind of squint your eyes and see a 20-win basketball team here and a tournament team. Is it a second weekend team? Let's, let's, uh, let's get to the tournament first if you're IU fans. But I, I think we've seen over the last couple games what the 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 maybe the 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 recipe is for Indiana to be good and it worked out again last night on the road a, a game that nobody nobody really thought that they could win no no and, and again I think it it does say everything with this team and the fact that the front court is really really good if McKenzie and Baco can give you double figure scoring and be consistent in that give you you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 points a game. That's a bonus. And then Khalil Ware just continues to be that guy along with Malik Renew. And Renew is, is the only thing holding him back is foul trouble, right? And that's been the case since he stepped on the floor last year as a freshman. So there are pieces here, but I don't think anyone would have expected the backcourt to be as bad as they have been. Now, obviously you want Xavier Johnson to come back from injury. And I, I don't know that, you know, there's no real timetable on this. And anytime you deal with, you know, a foot injury from something that you previously dealt with, that's not a good sign. But say he can come back, you know, at least in a, in a couple weeks once they get into the, the thick of the Big Ten, uh, January 3rd at Nebraska. I mean, that, that's a best-case scenario. Any, anything earlier than that, you take it, but just wait and make sure he is healthy before you get into the, the bulk of the Big Ten schedule. And you're surviving without him now. I'm not saying that's going to last long-term, but you're getting cups some some big time playing time. You're getting CJ Gunn some big time playing time. He maximized that that uh, opportunity last night with a couple big threes. Is you're 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 developing backcourt guys that can step in if Xavier Johnson or Trey Galloway go down or if they're in foul trouble or whatever. That those guys have played some meaningful minutes and they're getting that experience right now. So all around good win when you have no idea what's going to happen in the Big Ten. Of course, you looked at Purdue losing to Northwestern. You had Michigan State losing by double digits at home to Wisconsin last night before the IU game. And so when you you factor all the uncertainty going on early in the season in the Big Ten and you have IU sitting at 2-0, I mean, as a Hoosiers fan, you got to feel pretty good. And we'll talk in hour number two about the one thing we didn't have to talk about in this game. That's coming up after the top of the hour uh coming up on the other side the ncaa president has proposed a major shift in college athletics something that the ncaa finally is being proactive instead of reactive about that's next caleb and kenny in the morning 1380 the fan and 100.9 fm caleb and kenny in the morning here on 1380 the fan and 100.9 fm a little bit of queen did did you play this because of our off-air conversation no not at all okay yeah. Uh, no, there was no no next level thinking. <laughs> we were talking off air about uh, Derek Queen and, and IU recruiting target. There's all this hype that he, he could be committing to IU. Get uh, hype. Another five star yeah, going yeah. to Indiana. That'll change things. <laughs> no, Ellie, I'm sorry. Ellie brought nice it up to, to rile morning. you up. <laughs> being nice 
to IU this morning. Like I literally brought that up just to rile you up. Well, like, oh, did you see the Derek Quaid? You know, the, the rumor is Indiana. I'll Get you fired chasing. up here. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no credit to IU after the big win last night. Also, text Tulsa, T-U-L-S-A, 246862. Be eligible for a four-pack of tickets to the Comets and the Tulsa Oilers coming up on Friday night at the Coliseum. Tulsa, the 46862. You know, it's kind of weird. The Comets are uh, affiliated with the Edmonton Oilers, but like Tulsa is Yeah, the Tulsa, yes. <laughs> like, I mean, mm. nicknames alone would make more sense, but here we are. Yeah, uh, here we are. Massive change proposed in the NCAA, and this is something we've talked about on the show that has always felt like the, the logical next step. And NCAA President Charlie Baker has proposed a separate subdivision within the NCAA in Division One that would allow schools to directly compensate athletes through NIL and a trust fund. Schools can opt in or opt out. There'd be strict minimum investment standards. Uh, members could strike NIL deals directly with their own athletes, something they can't do right now. I mentioned the, the trust fund as well, and there'd be no cap. On the amount spent. Now, there'd be a minimum. The minimum would be a $30,000 trust fund per athlete per year. Schools would still have to adhere to Title IX. This is a huge shift, and I think it's about time that the NCAA, instead of being reactive, and this has to do with the, the House lawsuit, most notably, right now, but they're being proactive. Now, there's no timeline for this to, to get approved. I know there's some meetings soon with the NCAA, um, to kind of discuss this. This will be discussed, I'm sure. But this is the logical next step. And because of how football and, and budgets go, th- this is the, the thing that had to eventually happen. Otherwise, we're just going to see these gaps widening further and further among the, the big programs and the small programs. Well, it, it's inevitable this is the direction that the that the college sports... Or let's just... it's predominantly football so that football is going i know people want to lump in basketball too but even basketball isn't even close to what football is so this is primarily just a a subdivision for football separate subdivision and so this is kind of why charlie baker was hired as president of the ncaa to come up with something that can bring back some semblance of control for the ncaa in college football and I don't think this is a perfect solution, but it is a starting point. It is at least a starting point for discussions. It still kind of takes out the colleges and universities as directly paying players because you're bringing in money from donors effectively, and it's a separate fund, but it still is in the general um, idea of universities paying players. And you would imagine that this new subdivision would be the power four. Now, would it be completely separate from the rest of the current FBS, the group of five, so to speak, in terms of a playoff? Those, I think, are all conversations down the road, but at least we have something from the NCAA that says, okay, here's an idea. Let's talk about it. Let's tinker with it. See what we can develop it into to maybe fit the demands and needs of 2023 in college football. So, and as you mentioned, this is a football impact. The schools would also have the ability to essentially decide how many scholarships they want to offer so they could go above that 85 limit if, if the schools decide to adopt that rule so they could offer 
more scholarships in the 85, which is the current allowed rate. Um, and then as far as the impact on, on the rest of FBS, again, no one knows because this is <laughs> first proposed and this is where we're at. They, they finally admitted that they have to do something different. And starting next year, you'll have 69 schools total in the Power Four plus Notre Dame, which is essentially the schools that are we're talking about in this scenario. Now, do they limit it where teams you know move up and move down? I don't know. Uh, you also have to look at athletic department budgets, for example. I mean, a lot of these schools have mega budgets, but Cincinnati and Houston have the two smallest athletic budgets among current public Power Five schools: 83 million for Cincy, 78 million for Houston. Obviously, some of these smaller private schools would probably follow, you know, Wake Forest, Boston College. Um, they don't publicly disclose their budgets, but I'm sure it's it's on the smaller side as well. And this is this is a change that's been needed. And I'm glad that they're finally trying to move forward on it. I guess the next step is figuring out the framework and how this would work. And again, there'd be a buy-in for schools to participate in this. So uh, you got to have money and they're not they're not essentially admitting that this is pay to play but that's uh, this is as close as it will probably get to being pay to play. I don't think they want to say pay to play but no. that's basically what it is. Yeah. Um still a lot I mean, this is you could look at this by the NCAA and say this is a potentially last grasp of trying to command some semblance of control of college football at this point and whether it's something that the schools want to do or the schools are like, you know, we'll, we'll just organize on our own and, and do this. It remains to be seen. I think there are a lot of people that are intrigued by the idea, but what does it mean going forward? And how do you work out all of the bumps along the road to make sure it's not going to be a perfect solution. I don't think anything is in, in the current landscape, but everybody knows there are haves and have nots within the FBS system of college football. And this is a way to address that have, have not mentality and, and where you're at. I think the other thing is, so uh, NCAA championships would remain the same. The college football playoff uh, still, you know, operates the championship for college football. So that would be up to the college football playoff. At least they're expanding as this proposal comes into play. But I, I think the biggest thing is schools can finally decide, you know, hey, we, we can't compete in the arms race. And the NCAA, instead of digging their, their heels in the sand constantly on issues like this, is finally putting something out there that is a plan. Because I think they, they've had too many losses at the court level. To, to I mean, it, it, we're never going back to how it was pre-NIL, pre-portal, right? And so they finally offered a solution instead of trying to reverse everything that was previously decided. 46862 is the text line. 46862. CK NCAA needs to come, become a private entity rather than controlled and governed by colleges and a committee. The problem with that is, is you then lose your attachment to colleges. Is there, they're going to, they're going to look at you even less if you are not, if you're a, a private entity. You have next to no power right now in college football anyway. That would lead to even less power, in my opinion. This is, this is definitely first and foremost by the NCAA is a way to regain some of the power that they've lost in college football. Well, and the other thing is this is a move directed because of college football, college basketball. What does this mean for the future of the NCAA tournament? Right. I mean, there would be ramifications. 
I, I would hope this is just a football only idea. I, I, I would too, but either way, it would impact basketball. I just don't, I, I don't think any other sport needs messed with. Football is king. Just like we've talked about in the NFL. Football in this country is king. And in college sports, football is king. The FBS level. I don't think there's as many problems that need immediate solutions in college basketball that there are college football. That's the big thing. So uh, how the NCAA goes about trying to regain control and regulating this, quote unquote, as much as they can, remains to be seen. But it, it, it at least is a starting point. That's the big thing, is a starting point for conversation and the NCAA actually being proactive as opposed to reactive. Reactive is what they've been for the better part of the last decade. A look at some of the numbers uh, in the the article on this in Yahoo Sports with a, a great write up. So, fifty nine Division one schools spend more than a hundred million dollars on athletics. Another thirty two spend over fifty million, and then two hundred and fifty nine spend less than fifty million dollars. Half of those spending less than twenty five million. Remember, there are over three hundred Division one members. Just there are only what one hundred thirty three football members. So, yes, essentially roughly a third of where we're at on this. Um, 98% of Division two and Division uh, three schools spend less than $20 million annually on athletic programs. Uh, again, it, it, this is the way it's set up. So you're basically giving the top of the top schools more power and more advantage to to do these things. that Which they already been, have anyway. Yeah, they've already been doing. Yeah. Whether it's been under the table or through NIL. And you're finding a way to create a happy medium. That's the big thing with what the NCAA has done. And maybe I need a mistake. NIL was never supposed to be the end all of how that model was supposed to look. It was basically forced upon the NCAA by the courts. So they, the NIL was a stopgap before they could figure out a, 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 a final plan to implement. And this is a step towards that final plan, right? So when you look at how... The NCAA tries to really rein this back in and say, we're in some semblance of control. This is a way to do that. But NIL was never supposed to be what it is long term. It was only supposed to be a stopgap until a better plan was implemented. I would say, at least on the surface, this is a better plan than what we have. For a long time, the NCAA in particular didn't want to admit there was a problem. They were hoping it would go away. The under the table deals and all this stuff and players gravitating towards certain schools because of perks, uh, all that. They were hoping it w- they could regulate it and, and make it go away. It's only become more prevalent. And so the NCAA now has to adapt. They're finally starting to adapt and they're trying to put together a plan that's amicable for both sides, whether it is enough of a lure for the majority of the power four schools remains to be seen. I I think it, it might be enough. I, I think the only thing is they're going to complain about, you know, every athlete, the $30,000 per athlete uh, each year, you know, into that trust fund. And then, so that way, so here's the thing I, I don't understand. Are the scholarships still given out? And then the 30,000 is in addition or, is this I think it's no, I think it's in addition. In in place of. I, I assume it's in addition. So they get the scholarship plus they get the thirty thousand dollar per year. Um and that's that's not a football thing. This isn't an all sports thing. The way I understand it. 
Well, that's the big thing is it would have to be all sports and it has to be within Title IX. So that means mm-hmm. half of your of your athletes getting paid would be women. So it's not just a football thing, but uh, in terms of 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 the model. So that's that's the big big thing. And and my big I guess my big issue with it is it's still it still um, removes the universities from the majority of the monetary responsibility. They're still banking millions of dollars, yet it has to come from donors or or actually it will come from donors and trust funds and all that stuff for the money. So th- th- this is probably w- precisely why the NCAA put it up this way is the universities are still banking. They don't have to take out of their sizable coffers to pay their athletes. It's going to be somebody else giving the money effectively to pay those athletes. Well, in theory, in theory. Yes, I, I would say with the schools we're talking about, most of the schools, yes, someone else has been, but not all. And so that's where it gets tricky. And that's where if this does go forward, schools have to make a tough decision right. as far as do they want to be a part of this? Because on a competitive standpoint, you're done as far as competing at the top level. If you, yes, if you back out of this, if this is the proposal that moves forward. So yeah, you may save some money, but you're, you're not going to compete for anything anymore. Yeah. But you're playing I, by different rules. Yeah. So that's that's the decision these schools would have to make if this does indeed go forward. And we'll see what the schools think, but it's a it's a great point that yes, it predominantly affects football, but you would have to pay the majority of your athletes across all sports, half of which have to be women. So it's not just a football thing for the payments for 30,000 a player. 46862, the text line number 46862. Coming up on the other side, is it time to admit we were wrong about the NBA in-season tournament? That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up hour number one on a Wednesday. Some REM, which again, we talked about this before. doesn't actually stand for anything, right? No. I mean, REM in regular life is rapid eye movement. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stand as that for REM. It's just three letters. Bizarre. <laughs> it's worked out for him, though. It, it has. It has, indeed. Uh, so, coming up tomorrow night, it's the NBA in-season tournament semifinals in Let's Las Vegas. crazy. <laughs> the Indiana Pacers will be a part of it as the Pacers will be in action uh, and they will take on... Let's see the Bucks, right? So yeah, we'll play the Bucks, and then what is it? Lakers, Lakers, and Warriors? Uh, no, uh, no, Pelicans, right? Pelicans. So who had the Pelicans in their <laughs> semifinal? So again, you, you get teams you expect the Bucks and the Lakers, and then you get teams you certainly do not expect at all. And we look at the the in season tournament, and look, we everyone, I mean, everyone mocked this idea. Like this is so stupid. We mocked it. Everyone knocked it. But yet, here we are. We're talking about the NBA prior to Christmas. So the NBA has essentially achieved their goal because they've created buzz before the games on Christmas and made people at least have a passing interest in the regular season before that. It has been a bigger thing than what we thought it was going to be. And it's not just regionally with the Pacers. It is, uh, it, it served its purpose. And I'm wondering if anybody listening, 46862, have you watched any more NBA than you otherwise would in December, when even November when the first game started for the NBA Cup? Has it brought you in a little bit? And 
You could say the game with the Pacers-Celtics was a great game. Pelicans-Kings was a really good game as well. And so, an otherwise afterthought part of the season for the NBA, November, December, until you get to Christmas, is in the headlines, is in the news. And has it trickled down to some of our listeners? 46862. And has there been a greater benefit because you had smaller market teams make it? I, I think that that's the thing to me. It, the Pacers got a national TV game out of it. And, and, well, they're getting at least two uh, because they're playing again tomorrow night. So is that another factor in this that the NBA lucked out that it's not just, you know, Lakers, Warriors, uh, Bucks, and or or, you know, Bucks and who would be the other team? The East that would be uh, the Celtics. Yeah, yeah, and, and yes, the Bucks and Celtics made it, and the Lakers made it. The Warriors did not. The Suns did. So you still had some big teams, but the fact that some of these smaller market teams is, uh, have advanced at least to the semis, it's changed the matchups. Now that probably doesn't help TV ratings, but I don't think that's kind of the point of this. I think the point is to create buzz for the NBA prior to Christmas. They've checked that box. Also. With the prize money, I mean, five hundred thousand for winning the title to players, uh, two hundred thousand for making the final, hundred thousand for the semis, fifty thousand for the quarters. Like you've created incentive for them to play and care about the pool play games and the tournament play games. Like there's no load management going on here. No, they're playing for half a million dollars. Two metrics stand out to me, uh, and this is both from Forbes: the Kings Warriors game on November twenty eighth averaged two million viewers. A 93% increase for a game in a comparable window from last last year. Talking late November regular season game. The average attendance in the NBA, or for at least the group play games, the NBA Cup games of 18,206, NBA's highest average on record for November. Wow. That's also from Forbes. So despite all of us kind of chuckling and, and dismissing the idea of this NBA Cup, it has garnered interest from fans in an otherwise effectively dead period of the NBA regular season. And and the NBA is benefited by it. look, their their biggest weakness is that they rely solely on superstars and have created some divide that markets matter whereas the NFL that doesn't matter. It's it's about the teams and and the stars to a lesser extent, but it's more about the teams, right? And the NBA, it's more about the players and the markets than it is about the teams in general. So uh, having a team like the Pacers go this far, it was an introduction to a national TV audience about Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, we knew how well he was playing through the season, right? But this has just been a way to boost that. And uh, for the Pacers, they had just one game on national TV scheduled all season. Now they'll have at least three, perhaps four, if they can make it to the championship. And it's been a phenomenal uh, bump for the Pacers in terms of recognition, particularly for Tyrese Halliburton, as you said. So the NBA Cup uh, doing its job. Adam Silver, kudos to you because he deserves a, a lot of credit for this. He gets a fair amount of criticism for things that don't work, but he looked at a a portion of the NBA season that needed an infusion of something and he found it in the NBA Cup. Is it a long-term answer to this time of the year? Is it just a flash-in-the-pan type thing because it's new and it's different? Maybe. But you can't argue with the results so far in year one. Uh, and that's exactly what someone's texting in at 46862. The tourney is new. 
The real test will be next year if it has the same effect. I guess as the purse increases, which makes the players go harder, and that's the NBA's biggest flaw. If the players take it seriously, the fans will too. It's a better product. Well, it, and the players are taking it seriously because yep. there's money on the line. You can get a bonus. Yes, so and it, a considerable bonus. And, and I think the purse will go up. It wouldn't shock me if you get a million to win next year. Like the, They'll find a way to, to keep the incentives... Well, it's, it's all about money to incentivize things, mm-hmm. right? I mean, with professional athletes, we see it in auto racing a lot, having events that pay a lot of money, always have more um, drivers. Yeah, and drivers that want to enter it. Uh, you just you you put a, a lot of money out in front of people, particularly even if they're millionaires. You put six figures, seven figures in front of them that they can make on top of what they already make for doing something. Yeah, yeah that's definitely going to be a drive for them. So we're seeing it, and it gives. I, I think too is we're seeing an injection of excitement because it's not all power teams in the semis. You're seeing the Pelicans. You're seeing the Pacers, right? So it's not just in the East, you're talking Celtics, Bucks, and in the West, you're talking what? Uh, Golden State and Phoenix at this point? Uh, I would say in the West, I mean Denver. Oh yeah, Denver. I forgot about Denver. (laughs) Um but yeah, starts I mean, was, and ends with Denver. It was Denver and and Oklahoma City or something or, or the Lakers. I mean, it's not in talks of uh, of where teams are, so that yeah. helps tremendously. Um, and CK money talks. I mean, money talks on everything. I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, that's always brought up. Uh, money talks in this sport. And this money talks everywhere, every facet of life. Money talks, and money is definitely talking for the NBA Cup. And so far, early returns are promising. We'll see if it it plays out that way through the semis and the finals. Coming up on the other side, IU and Michigan. The Hoosiers get the win last night in Ann Arbor and something we don't have to talk about with this Indiana team. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Wednesday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Coming up this hour on the show, the one thing we didn't have to talk about in terms of IU basketball last night. Plus, is the AFC South now wide open with Trevor Lawrence's injury? And would college football benefit by the transfer portal moving dates? Portal opened up on Monday. Could a change help fix things? Or will something else within the sport take care of it to begin with starting next year? We'll get to that. Plus, before we leave you this hour on the show... A Texas woman found a surprise gift in her Christmas tree. Not something you would certainly want in the tree. We'll get to all that. Plus, we have Comets tickets to give away. We're giving away a four-pack of tickets to see the Comets and the Tulsa Oilers on Friday night at the Coliseum. We're making it simple for you. Just text Tulsa to 46862. Again, Tulsa to 46862. And we'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. Also, don't forget you can stream us at 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or on your smart speaker. Again, all those options for free. And if you miss anything from hour number one, you can always catch up on the podcast. Look for it each and every morning around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Uh, we podcast the show each and every day so you can get caught up. Uh, you can download it for free in your, on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So Indiana escapes Ann Arbor with a 78-75 to win last night over the Wolverines. IU, who would have guessed, improves to 2-0 in Big Ten play in this early portion of the Big Ten schedule atop 
the conference. No one would have expected this, especially uh, really it wasn't until what the Harvard game that you felt like there was any hope for this team this season, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, it's just, it's been a slog and last night was not pretty, but they found a way to get it done. And, th- and that's what teams do in this conference that go on to make the NCAA tournament. So especially on the road, especially yes. it's like you, you can play the ugliest game of the year. If you escape with a win, that's all that matters on the road in the Big Ten. And now, with four straight wins for the Hoosiers, we're looking pretty solid. I don't think we're getting ahead of ourselves all of a sudden talking Big Ten championship opportunities and where they would seed in the NCAA tournament. We're not going down that road, but you can say since UConn, you've seen incremental steady improvement. And we knew there would be a bit of a learning curve with this team with new pieces and all that stuff, but it was the returning pieces that were the most concerning at times. But now with Xavier Johnson out and Gabe Cups in and he's played admirable with the point position, you'd like to see him be more of a scorer, but that will come, I feel. But yeah, now, I mean, think about it. This year was supposed to be a developmental year. They had so many good things to say about him going into the season, but he simply is not a threat to score. He, he is a zero on offense, period. Yes. And, and that's the thing that if they don't get Xavier Johnson back, that's going to be a problem, let alone the fact that he'll hit the freshman wall and it will be a struggle at point uh, the rest of the year. So you hope you get Xavier Johnson back. Now, uh, am I still leery of the next two games for Indiana? You have Auburn and Kansas. Yes. Now, is Auburn coming off a loss to Appalachian State? Yes, they are. And this game. Oh, really? Yes. This game being played Saturday afternoon in Atlanta, again, a neutral site game. Um, we'll see. I don't know. If if IU even splits these next two games, I consider it a win. No, uh, I, between I agree. Between Auburn and Kansas. And, and then you, you get Moorhead State, North Alabama, and Kennesaw before you jump back into the Big Ten to start in January. So you could conceivably see a two-loss IU team once it enters January and jumps back into the Big Ten when it really gets serious, but... If you could do that, if you're a looking at a 11 and two Indiana team jumping back into the Big Ten, oh, you take that. Oh, totally. And um, I think they've 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 taken steps. I think one of maybe the more frustrating things for Indiana over the last several years and under multiple coaches is the issues in November are the same issues in March. And if you can see development and uh, consistency in terms of improvement, then that's a a step forward from previous Indiana teams. And I think you're seeing that. You, you saw it over the last couple of weeks. You definitely saw it over the last two games. If that can continue against Auburn and Kansas, you feel pretty good. If they can battle Kansas and lose by single digits or even like low double digits, I, I think you take that if you're an Indiana fan because you have to have expectations like like real realistic expectations i think is the key thing and uh, i think that would be a good performance for india this indiana team but when you look at what's to come in the big and not just in in the rest of december but then you go to you go to nebraska ohio state at rutgers january 9th at home against minnesota before you go purdue wisconsin illinois back to back to back there's a chance to really build momentum in the Big Ten in those first four games. If you can go three and one in those first four, gosh, you're sitting at five and one 
in the Big Ten before you hit a challenging uh, portion. It's all about consistency now for Indiana. And if we see it, you got to feel pretty good if you're a Hoosier fan. The other thing is we don't know who's going to emerge as that team behind Purdue in the Big Ten. We thought I mean, it was Michigan State. That is Michigan State. They looked awful last night, uh, losing to Wisconsin at home. Could it be Wisconsin? Could it be Illinois, who beat, beat FAU uh, last night? A, a big win for the Illini. Um, there, there are a lot of teams vying for that number two position behind Purdue, who's obviously I perceived mean, to be at the top. Could you uh, could you count out Northwestern at this point? Yeah, true. To be, I, I guess the biggest thing that I saw last night was was not having to worry about this thing in particular effort right i mean yes they had yes. a lot of turnovers in yep. the first half they cleaned that up in the second and and they made the plays when they had to i mean think about this you look at indiana on the season they're winning single digit games um all their I mean, games prior to uconn Florida were single Gulf digit Coast, wins army right state i mean i know those aren't murderers row but you're winning those games louisville um, Maryland was was kind of an anomaly out there, but then in Michigan. Michigan, like it, the effort is finally come back around to what you need to see, and something that even wasn't there at the beginning of the season. Yeah, for some players, and and, and again, we figure the communication aspect would get figured out, and that seemingly has uh, somewhere between you know the, the end of the UConn game, the Louisville game. It seemed like that's where that started to not be as much of a problem. Then now you're just seeing a, a team who is taking advantage of what their identity is, which is a really, really good front court, and feeding that and going from there. Uh, Khalil Ware has been as advertised. I, I mean, the way he's playing, he's going to the NBA next year. I, I don't know what else to say. That That's how well he is playing right now. And I, I think what he brings, not just offensively, but defensively, I think he has been a, a, a much better piece than I think people anticipated. Well, he's been Indiana's leading scorer. He's averaging close to a double-double. He's been really good, I think, at facilitating and finding open guys, which is rare for a dude in the post and a guy that's so focused on scoring the basketball. He's he's good defensively, as you mentioned, averaging close to two blocks a game. So, yes, he's been that dude. I think now that we've seen Indiana play the way they're capable of playing, that has to be the expectation. For every game, you're going to have ebbs and flows over the course of the year, no doubt, but you can't have long droughts or long stretches of lack of effort. And I'm talking game to game is you can't have in mid-February Indiana decide over a three, four game stretch that it's not going to play any defense. Well, and, and that's been an issue for this program yes, for several absolutely. years. And, and and that's the big thing is can Mike Woodson in year three find that consistency with this roster you have to get him credit you have to give him credit at this point for being able to elevate this team with so many new players but i think you're going to have to 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 see it over the course of the season you don't want to have those swoons and i think too we have to guard against because we've been fooled by indiana before recently we can't put too much into a two-game stretch and think all of a sudden, all of IU's problems are solved. And I think it's dangerous to start thinking that because they could go out and lose to, by Aub- lose to Auburn by 15, and then we're back talking about the same things. Well, and again, that that's why I'm I'm still not convinced, even though Auburn's coming off a loss to Appalachian State. Like, I, I'm not convinced. Also, Michigan and Maryland are projecting to be two middling, at best, Big Ten teams this year. 
Yes, they beat the teams they should beat if they're going to be a team that's going to be at least in the top five, I'd say, in the Big Ten. But make no mistake, this is this is a team right now in Indiana that, that not many people think is a tournament team. And I don't think beating Maryland and Michigan changes that narrative. But I think it's, it's a deeper dive in how they're beating Maryland and how they're beating Michigan to give Indiana fans maybe some some hope that this can be the team going forward through the bulk of the season. I think the fact that they've been able to win close games all season has been a very positive sign because the, the opposite is you're losing every close game uh, like your Nebraska football. So um, I, I think that is a positive that you're winning these games that were very losable. I mean, the, the coaching down the stretch, we talked about this first hour, but the, the coaching down the stretch, Mike Woodson fouling up three with putting Khalil Ware guard the inbound and then he got the de- deflection at the end of the game like these are the little moves that you make and we're seeing Mike Woodson make those decisions and and whether you think Mike Woodson's the guy or not what we saw last night was was a, a coaching masterclass down the stretch are you do you feel as if you're seeing growth out of Mike Woodson in coaching the college game yes yes I do I, I thought last night felt like he he made all the right calls um and and I think also the fact that he is remember early in the season when he was playing that second unit and it's like, what are we doing here? Like who's going to score offensive? But now we're seeing these guys off the bench provide a spark, no pun intended uh, talking Peyton sparks, right. but like Caleb Banks is becoming a, a quality backup. Peyton sparks is becoming a quality backup. CJ Gunn had four steals last night uh, to go along with hitting two threes and scoring eight points. So He's he's given those players an opportunity to develop, even though when it looked like that second unit was a zero offensively at times, and they were to start the season. Don't get me wrong, but he's found a way to work that in and kept pushing and 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 giving them opportunities. And now we're starting to see that pay off a bit. Four six eight six two, the text line four six eight six two. Let us know what you think about Indiana's uh, win last night, and also text Tulsa. The 46862 chance to win a four pack of tickets to the Comets home game on Friday night against the Tulsa Oilers. Couple of texts rolling in uh, at 46862. CK, IU is a better team without Xavier Johnson. That is an interesting question. I th- they <laughs> I think it depends on which Xavier Johnson you yeah. have on the floor. Right I mean, too. good Xavier Johnson, a, a guard who's hitting threes, attacking the rim. Yeah, IU is, is not better without him in the lineup, but Xavier Johnson, who is committing silly fouls. Careless with the basketball. Careless with the basketball. Yes, IU has, has benefited, I guess, from that aspect. Uh, he is a polarizing player. Uh, I like Xavier Johnson. Xavier Johnson is essentially Devontae Green, uh, it's Troy Williams 2.0, right? Guys who have immense talent that can have brain farts from time to time. But the talent usually still outshone. Uh, out, outshone? Outshine? Um, sure. Out, I'm outshined, not sure. I think. Outshined. There we go. That sounds more correct. Yes. Outshined any of the bad stuff. Unfortunately, this year for Xavier Johnson with the injuries and, and his limitations, that's just not been the case. Now, he was big early in the year in, in providing a spark in games where IU looked like they were completely lost, right? So there are benefits. I, I don't know if I'm ready to say that IU is a better team without Xavier Johnson. To me, they still need a healthy Xavier Johnson to get through the Big Ten schedule and to have a shot at the tournament. 
The, Gabe Cups is just like, yeah, I, I get it. Everyone loves Gabe Cups. He's the freshman point guard. He comes in, he plays hard. Um, but IU cannot survive a season without Xavier Johnson and get to the tournament if, if Gabe Cups is your starting point guard. He's not there yet, and he's going to hit a wall later in the season if he's going to continue to have to play 32-plus minutes a night uh, for Indiana. That's just the reality. Yeah, he's not a guy that's going to score for you consistently. He's shooting 21% from the field. I think there's one thing, though, with Xavier Johnson that is, for me, the most vital thing is late in the game, if Indiana needs to make free throws to win, there's nobody I want at the line more than Xavier Johnson for Indiana. You mean you don't want Malik Renew at the line? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. Although he's been decent from the line. Uh, he's actually 25 of 34. He's shooting 73% from the free throw <laughs> that line. That is shocking. I'm looking it up. Xavier Johnson shooting 80% from the free throw yeah, line. Yeah, he is, he is their best free throw shooter on this team. And, and again, that's another element that like you're you're not getting with Gabe Cups out, out on the floor. So I, I think I am not ready to go there because I think it's it's an easy direction to take. He's too experienced. He's too good guarding the perimeter defensively. He is a a spark plug as far as forcing turnovers, attacking the rim. He can hit a couple quick threes. Like he can do all that stuff. Now, is he going to do that consistently? Probably not. That's just he is what he is at this point. But he's a really good player, and I think IU is is clearly a better team with him on the court than without him. Let us know what you think about the Hoosiers on the text line, 46862. Also, what you think about me saying nice things about Indiana. <laughs> uh, texts are saying hell's frozen over because I'm talking, uh, I said something nice about Indiana basketball. I've, I've been less than impressed by Indiana basketball for a fair amount of years, and I'm not going to put a lot of stock into two games. No. But at the same time, you can put a lot of stock into two games in the sense that you're seeing what Indiana is capable of doing if all, they're firing on all cylinders, if they're doing everything they need to do on both ends of the floor and beating teams. That said, they beat Maryland and Michigan. It's not beating Purdue and Illinois, for example, or Auburn and Kansas, for that matter, which are the next two games. Just imagine if they can make threes. You wouldn't know stopping them <laughs> at this point. Coming up on the other side... The AFC South, is it wide open now with the Trevor Lawrence injury? We'll take a look at the remaining schedules and how things shape up next here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on a Wednesday, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, you can always reach us on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862 and... Uh, if you have thoughts on the Colts, send them our way because the AFC South seemingly, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Are is, you say is it's wide open. Yes, I am. Uh, based on the injury to Trevor Lawrence, assuming he misses some time. Um, look, they're eight and four. The Col- uh, the Jags, the, the Colts and Texans are seven and five. They're right there. Now, the separator in all of this, I think we do have to keep in mind, is that the Jags do have the advantage in the sense that, well, They've taken care of things in the division, record-wise. I, I mean, they're 2-0 against the Colts. They did lose once to the Texans, uh, so they split with the Texans at 1-1. One one. They're 1-0 against the Titans, so they still have the Titans remaining. It's weird, though, that their division schedule within the first, what, 10 games of the year was 11 games of the year was all but wrapped up besides that Week 17 game. But if Trevor Lawrence is going to miss some time, they have Cleveland on the road. They have the Ravens. 
the Bucks, the Panthers, and then at Tennessee to wrap it up. Now, they have perhaps probably one of the easier schedules among the, the teams. So the Colts at Cincinnati, the Steelers at Atlanta, the Raiders and the Texans. And I, I mean, outside of what the Ravens game for the Jags, like all these are winnable games with even with, without Trevor Lawrence, right? Yes. Um, it has, it is based on a sharp football analysis. The two easiest schedules, the rest of the way in the AFC is Houston and the Indianapolis Colts. They have the two easiest records for the rest of the season. So Jacksonville the, seventh. And, and again, and that's really just because Jacksonville has Baltimore left. Uh, the, the Colts at Cincy, the Steelers at Atlanta, Raiders and Texans. And then the Texans at the Jets, at the Titans, the Browns at home, the Titans again, which explained that one to me. Uh, and then at the Colts. So they're playing. Here's what I don't get. We look at scheduling. So Jacksonville had their AFC South schedule with the exception of the game at Tennessee to wrap up the season wrapped up. Meanwhile, the Texans, three of their final four games are divisional games. Make it make sense. Uh, I, d- the NFL scheduling makes no sense. Uh, I get so annoyed. With, like I, I understand. I'm on board with playing divisional games the final week of the regular season. I get that. I, I have no problem. But I'm sorry, you can't have one team that is all but done with their division schedule at the moment in Jacksonville, and they've cleaned up in the division. That's why they're they're set up for success. What are they three and one, four and four and one in the division? Uh, and the fact that they're four and one in the division. I mean. Colts three and two, Texans one and two, Tennessee's out of it, obviously. Um, they're set up for the success. But but the fact that like you have another team playing three of their final four games as divisional games, like I I don't it's know. kinda weird. It's, I mean, that's not fair at all. This is what I I only I only have to look at the Chicago Bears regular season schedule to be annoyed by what the NFL does with the divisional schedule. Green Bay. They play they play Green Bay week one and week eighteen. They play Detroit week 11 and week 14. Yeah. Make that make sense. So the Bears will have played in three games and they were out. out, They were ahead of bye last week. Detroit, Minnesota, Detroit consecutive. Why are they playing Detroit two of their of of a three game schedule? And yet Green Bay is number is your first opponent and your last opponent. I think divisional games need to be spread out because you are a different team at different portions of the season and you should not be playing teams that close together in your division. It, it makes it, no sense. I don't know why more isn't made about this because it's always happens in the NFL that you have teams that are unnaturally playing against each other, divisional foes too close together. You should not have like the bears or the Texans, uh, Texans again, going at Tennessee, the Browns, then hosting the Titans. Yeah. You shouldn't in, be playing in, in a team that a close. span of three weeks. Like that should not happen. No, not at all. I mean, you look at, at, at the Colts and Jaguars, they were done with each other by week six. Yeah. Like what's that make sense? How is it fair for the Indianapolis Colts to play Jacksonville week one and week six? They would love to be playing Jacksonville at some point over the next couple weeks of the season. You know who does get to play Jacksonville? Tennessee. And that's yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, because they're done effectively with their, with their uh, conference, and, and with again, their division th- schedule. So they cleaned up and then now Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, but they yes, only have one division game they, left Yes, where he should be healthy. If you project it out. But you you look you look at and this is again sharp football analysis breaking down the remaining schedules for the for the AFC and NFC and you look at the Colts and they play only two of their final six games against t- teams in the top half of of sharp football analysis rankings in the in the NFL 
Both are at home. Pittsburgh and Houston. And so basically, and this is as of right now, of course the Colts need to win games between now and week 18. But if the Colts simply beat the Texans in week 18 at home, per sharp football analysis, their playoff odds jump from 47% to 66%. As of right now. But of course, a lot can change. It really feels like it all comes down to that week 18 game, which, which again is crazy because at the start of the year, you thought, okay, the Colts better sweep the Texans, right? That that's the team you got to sweep because the Texans are bad and very bad. Well, turns out the Panthers are by far awful, and the Texans are pretty good thanks to their rookie quarterback. So, when you look at this division, I, I mean, I don't expect the Colts to win out. For example, I think that's asking too much. But you look at the schedule. I mean, three wins, four wins. There are a lot of opportunities here. And this is a team that, you know, we thought, oh, okay, start of the year, five, six wins, and then pushing towards seven, and now we thought, okay, maybe at best they're eight and nine. Like, do we keep discounting them, or are we going to project them as, as being a playoff team? Like, are you ready to make that switch? I think with with previous coaches, I'd look at this team and say, how are they going to screw it up? With Shane Steichen, it gives me a little bit more confidence that the Colts can close this out and make the playoffs. That's just what what Shane Steichen has brought to this franchise is immeasurable at this point. And you look at how, at when you're playing teams. That can be a big deal on when you're playing teams. Cincinnati, okay, without Joe Burrow. And Browning's look decent, solid, but it's still advantage when you're not having to face Joe Burrow. Pittsburgh is struggling at quarterback. You don't know what you're going to get there. And then you go on the road to Atlanta, and then you have Vegas and Houston at home. So... It's a favorable schedule for, I think if you go three and two, you're probably in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, you win 10 you, games. If you finish 10 and seven, you're probably in, but I could see a nine and seven Indianapolis Colts team heading into that Houston game in week 18. And whereas previous years, the Colts, for whatever reason, coach players couldn't get it done in week 18. That could be a real changing of the guard in terms of we have the right guy if Shane Steichen-led team can go out and win Week 18 and make the playoffs. Again, it continues to shock me we're, we're talking playoffs. Now, at the start of the year, I remember I jokingly brought up because the Colts were 2-1 and one after that win over Baltimore, and you look at the numbers, and they were favorable for teams that were 2-1 and one as far as making the playoffs. But it was not a, a serious thought. It was more of, here's what the numbers say. The numbers were pretty positive. If you, if you start 2-1... and one, more than likely, you'll make the playoffs. As crazy as that is, but it's next level to be seven and five and in the thick of it and ahead of the Buffalo Bills of all teams. Uh, and, and the Bills, I mean, look, the Bills' season comes down to Sunday. They, they play Kansas City. They they beat the Chiefs. They're probably going to find a way to, to get in the playoffs. They lose. I, I feel like their season's going to crumble. So for the Colts, every week is important. Every game is important. And, and again, we get seventeen data points at this every year. And, you know, you take it essentially four games at a time to kind of see where things are at. Well, we're through one of the other four game phases, if you will. And the Colts are at seven and five. The next five games is that final final quarter of the season. And they're well ahead of schedule. But also with Shane Sykin feels like this is a realistic thing to get to. Now, it's different from prior years where the Colts were always just trying to make the playoffs and 
plug in a quarterback. This, the Colts think they have their franchise guy. He's hurt. Gardner Minshew has stepped in as a temporary fix. I mean, do, do the Colts keep Gardner Minshew next year? I mean, that, that's probably the next I would, question. I would, I would hope, hope so. Do. And I would hope they find a way to make that work. But for Indianapolis, you're ahead of schedule. You make the playoffs. I mean, playing for the draft pick has long been out the window, right? We're well past that. Really, since they beat Baltimore, we should have known that that wasn't going to play into the season. And I think everything now for Indianapolis, in my opinion, is um, icing on the cake. Because without Anthony Richardson, it, it was a lost season in the sense of developing your next franchise quarterback. But you've seen other guys develop and produce and give you promise for the future. You still need to add at certain positions. You still need to hope upon hope that Anthony Richardson is your guy at quarterback long term. But for everybody saying that the Colts are going to win two, three, four games and they're at seven wins with five games remaining are effectively eaten crow because this Indianapolis Colts team through a variety of reasons, but you have to give credit to Shane Steichen. You have to give credit to Chris Ballard after so much uh, piling on on him. By us included. Us included. (laughs) No, seriously. Did it take a coach like Shane Steichen to get the most out of Chris Ballard's players that he was bringing in? I mean, sometimes you have that disconnect between general manager and this is what I want and it just doesn't fit with the coach. Are we seeing a synergy between those two guys in terms of this is the, these are the guys I'm bringing in and you're able to maximize their potential. I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but you have to give Chris Ballard some credit too. So if, if the Indianapolis Colts, in my opinion, would finish seven and 10 on the season and lose out, I still look at the season as exceeding expectations or at least maybe meeting them for a fair amount of people. Well, and it's, it's weird because again, you, you lose your rookie quarterback after a couple of games, and so it's like, what is this team going to be? Are they going to be good? Are they going to be bad? Like, middling? Um, I, I, I would be shocked if they lose out. I the thought record. they were middling. I think the last two weeks in particular, I'm like, you know, they could be actually a good football team. I mean, beating Carolina, everybody does that. Beating New England, everybody does that. But after the bye coming out, beating Tampa Bay, it's a solid team. Beating Tennessee on the road is a is a Big one, particularly how you did it. And the fact that the Colts struggle to win. Yes. Falling down 17-3, coming back win. I think this is the first time this week where I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know what? The Colts, they could actually be a good team. Which means they'll fall on their face (laughs) at Cincinnati on Sunday, right? The thing (laughs) is like is is previous years, yeah, that's what we expected. Any iota of of uh, a promise by the Colts was dashed pretty quick. But now you don't think, I'm not saying they're going to Cincinnati and winning, but if it's a competitive football game, if they look good and you're saying, even if they come out of that game seven and six, if they look competent, I think you're still feeling pretty good. Like I said, you really only have to go three and two the last five games to get into the playoffs. But one of those three wins has to be week 18 against Houston, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That that game, again, we mentioned the Colts have zero primetime games, perhaps that is the game that gets flexed into it's a primetime game. If still there is a TBD. Playoff spot on the line. Coming up on the other side, would college football benefit by the transfer portal moving? We'll debate that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. I haven't heard this song in uh, a hot second. 
it was all the rage. Gosh. Yeah, until the lawsuit. Until, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Gosh, it's 10 years old now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And whatever happened to... Uh, I, I can't even think Robert of... Thick. Yeah. I mean, it's just like ruined his career, right? I mean... Yeah, it's very much so in terms of... I no mean, besides I the fact that, I mean, he still has a dad who's a famous actor. I'm sure he laid yeah, it on sure his feet fine. fine. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he's okay. And it obviously didn't hurt... Um, is the the rapper in this? It, Farrell. Isn't yeah, it? It, it, it did not hurt him. No, at all. not at all. Uh, four six eight six two. The text line number four six eight six two. CK. The portal has killed bowl games. And perfect segue into our next topic. Uh, would college football benefit by the portal moving? So again, the portal opened on Monday, right after conference championship weekend. Now I understand there are some timelines at play here. First of all, being the fact that for people to enroll second semester, some of these schools are are starting classes like i don't know how early what we're talking like january 6th 8th maybe yeah so like there's a tight timeline and you you get the portal over prior to christmas it gives coaches a bit of a break if they're you know not in a bowl game you can just focus on on building and you know take take some time to relax right i mean it's a it's a year-round sport as far as the the commitment for coaches anymore um if you move the portal to after Christmas, like say open January 2nd, does that create more of a headache? Because just because of when the portal opens, there's obviously contact being made prior to that. So is that a solution or, and, and that would help with opt outs as well, as far as some of these bowl games, right? You would think that could help a little bit or yeah. will this take care of it? If there's better and more enforcement of the one-time transfer rule uh, for underclassmen and also Will college football playoff expansion help overall where a lot of these guys putting their name in the portal uh, are doing it because they didn't make the playoff? Well, with 12 teams as opposed to four, you're at least limiting some of the action in the portal a bit until after their playoff runs. It's astounding to me that so many people still watch bowl games and I'm I'm a huge college football guy, but am I really excited about Howard and Florida A&M and the Celebration Bowl or... New Mexico State, Fresno State, the New Mexico Bowl, or Western Kentucky and Old Dominion in the famous Toastery Bowl, <laughs> as opposed to the just regular Toastery Bowl, but now it's the famous. I mean, you get the point in terms of some of these bowls are just uh, lack excitement. Players got to do what they got to do, and they're doing what is within their power to do it. I don't think moving the portal in any way benefits the athlete, and in the end, that's what this should be about doesn't benefit us in terms of viewers. It doesn't benefit the programs. It should benefit the athlete because for so long, the athlete didn't have any power or next to no power. Now they have the power to transfer, whether it's smart, not smart. That's not us to decide, but it gives the players the power. And to me, that's a welcome change to what it has been in college athletics. And for, for that, I don't think that the portal time should be, should move and we have breaking news in college football oh, really? one time at notre dame offensive coordinator target colin klein uh at kansas state has reportedly been hired by texas a&m oh and new head coach mike elko uh former notre dame defensive coordinator himself to be the oc for the aggies notre dame texas a&m open up the season august 31st 2024 all right so 
A&M was able to do what Notre Dame couldn't and close with Colin <laughs> Klein. Fascinating storylines abound, of course. Uh, but y- yes, with the well, and the one other note on the portal is that a lot of players putting their names in the portal aren't getting a landing spot, right? Yes. I mean, the high-profile guys will be fine, but a lot of these players are putting their name in the portal. There's nowhere for them to go, and that's that's the part that I think we need, you know, maybe more education and seminars and whatever from the NCAA to just protect the players from this because these guys are being promised a lot, but in yes, there's all the hype around the quarterbacks and the elite players, you know, going from power five to power five, but for the guys putting their name in the portal and then they don't have somewhere to go. That's where I think we need more education on that aspect there. I wish I could find it offhand. Um, I think here it is. Let me see. Um, yes. So this is the 2023, three portal uh let me go 2022 portal here real quick and this is on transfer on three transfer portal so the 2023 or 2022 portal had 2341 players enter the portal okay in in football in football this is college football division one wow 2341 70 of them withdrew so went back to their school that's about three percent 1495 of them committed elsewhere that's 64%. That leaves 33%, fully one third of the athletes that entered the portal did not transfer to another FBS program. Wow. So it does not say it all. Now I, I don't want to say all 33% of those are players that thinking they're going FBS to FBS. Maybe some of them knew that they were going to go to FC closer to, te- to, to home or something, go yeah, FCS I mean, so lower. I mean, think about it. some of those guys may have just decided oh, I'm going to stop playing football. Some knew they were going to FCS, and so there, some others may have wanted to go to a even smaller program closer to home or, or add some specific life situation going on. But I think at least conservatively, you could say one fourth of the players that go into the portal thinking they're going to go to another FBS didn't, and that needs to be remembered too as we go through the cycle this year, of which. Currently, 2,735 players have entered the portal. Wow. <laughs> Big now, numbers. Th- now, this is not just between now and or between the end of the season. This is throughout the course of 2023. Oh, okay. okay. So including so the spring not, portal period. Yes, yeah, spring, summer, all that stuff. This is this is what we have. So two, 20, over 2,700 so far. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up. A Texas woman found a surprise gift in her Christmas tree. We'll explain it next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Wednesday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Final story of the day, a Texas woman had a surprise gift in her Christmas tree. Uh, She posted a video to uh, TikTok. A possum hiding inside her tree in her house. That is awful. Uh, She said... In a follow-up video, does not know how the animal got inside her home. No doors have been left open. She said she had heard noises after arriving home from work. Initially thought they were coming from one of her three dogs or her cat. She eventually got up to investigate the sound, saw a long rat tail sticking out from her tree. (laughs) Not some rubber gloves. Tried to pull the animal from out of the tree, but it's clinging tightly to a branch. Then she was able to pull it free, but then it broke free from her grasp. Oh, all of this is is terrifying. Terrible. To me. I, uh, possums are ugly. They, yeah, they gross me out. Uh, it, it fled under a couch, fled from furniture, 
I mean, just start uh, the house on fire at that point. Yeah. Just call the law. She, she said it fled from furniture item to furniture item until she was able to tackle the possum <laughs> like an NFL football player. Uh, she's able to carry out outside. Said the possum was not mean or aggressive, just skittish, which they usually are when you encounter them. I remember one day, one one morning, I think I don't know if it was the spring. I was leaving for work to come here, and it was daylight, like because yeah. like it was still light out, and a possum just like walked by in the front yard. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> just out for a stroll. Like it's light out. I thought you were nocturnal. Um, it's late getting home. Ugh. No, thank you. <laughs> Not the gift I'd want either under or in my tree. No, thanks. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us today. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Coming up next, Dan Patrick's show, The Herd with Colin Coward at noon, Indiana Sports Week with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4, and The Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6, all here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.